Good morning, everybody. I'm going to let you know something. The last time I had a fever, which I do have one right now, I was laying in my bed, going in and out of consciousness, listening to my wife try to give my kids baths. And in my fading in and out of consciousness, I preached the best sermon that's ever been preached. So you're in for a treat this morning. We're, we're in a series called God Speaking, and as we're, we're journeying through this part of the book of Acts, we're seeing how um, the different apostles, they're encountering different people, and, and they're trying with great pains and efforts to make this gospel of Jesus Christ, this resurrected Savior, um, make sense to them in whatever cultural place they find themselves, and geographical place for that matter. And um, we come to this scripture where now Paul and Barnabas, we've been following through some of their missionary journeys in Southeast Asia, and now they come back to the motherland. They come back to Jerusalem to kind of report on what's been happening. And this theme keeps coming up about Gentiles who are receiving this Jewish Messiah, and that's what this passage is concerning. They're wrestling with this idea of, can we accept this? Can we bless this? And so our title for the sermon this morning is around that idea, is how do we bless, how do we know how to bless and see what God has blessed. And so I'm gonna try and say the title again, Blessing What God Has Blessed. Thank you. Um, science is, is telling us in different ways, cosmologists, scientists who study the cosmos, that the universe is continually expanding that it just keeps growing and growing. Some scientists believe that there's over a galaxy for every human being on the planet and that it just keeps going and keeps expanding forevermore. And I wonder if God, the creator, if that, that idea says something about him, that, that it just keeps getting bigger and more expansive and more exciting that, that it's like a little bit of yeast in some dough that permeates the whole dough or, or it's a tiny little seed that, that grows into a, a, a tree or that it's like Abraham stepping out of his tent and God telling him, look Abraham at the stars, your descendants will be greater than what you can see there or even the, the tiny little cells that we have in our bodies that are, that are constantly multiplying. That maybe this is always and was always God's plan, that things continue to expand and to grow. Even a risen Savior something that couldn't be stopped, that there's, there are, there's a force that can't be stopped, sometimes deterred, but never stopped. So I think this passage is kind of about this idea. 
I think it's about how we recognize when we see that God is blessing something, that he's doing something and being able to expand our imagination about what that looks like. So I've got some questions that we're going going to kind of look at for the next few minutes. And one of them here is how do we recognize what God is blessing when we see it? And then sort of a a follow-up question to that is, well, what does it mean to live a life that blesses. This idea, let's go back to this idea of the cosmos. If, if, if the cosmos is expanding, we live on one planet, this little spinning ball of dirt filled with DuPont chemicals and nuclear weapons. And then that planet is in a solar system. And that solar system is in a galaxy. And that galaxy is one of potentially billions of constantly expanding galaxies. How does that make you feel? Small. Anything else? How does it make you feel? It makes me feel kind of afraid. That if you start to zoom out like that, it's kind of like uh, I have the significance of, of, of like a tiny atom or like a flea on an atom. Like, that's how big I am. That's a scary idea that that the universe is that big and that expansive and that there's that much going on in it. And I think for some of the the Jewish people who had their, their, their way of understanding the world, it kind of felt like somebody just told them there's a whole new galaxy and that that's what God created too and he actually likes it and he's blessed it. And they're like, man, this is too much. For us, as 21st century people uh, with airplanes and and internet and and, and, uh, Netflix and uh, all these different things, Instagram, the world has really kind of like shrunk in some ways. So these ideas that seemed far out and these peoples that seemed far out that are so different from us in some ways are all right sort of in our living room now. And again, I think the Jews could feel that way. They were always there. The other people were always around the Jewish people, but they kind of had their own little system, their own little world of dealing with things, and they could kind of keep it all contained, even if it was only in their minds. Um, MLK, it is Black History Month, y'all, just so you know. And Black history is American history. That's a meme. Um, it's also true. MLK talked about this idea in, uh, in, in, a, in a speech that he gave, and also this, he, he wrote it down, and it was part of one of his books, and it was titled The World House. And I want to share this, this idea of this expansive world that's now shrinking uh, with you, this quote. Says some years ago, a famous novelist died. Among his papers was found a list of suggested plots for future stories, the most prominently underscored being this one. A widely separated family inherits a house in which they have to live together. This is the great new problem of mankind. 
We have inherited a large house, a great world house in which we have to live together, black and white, Eastern and Western, Gentile and Jew, Catholic and Protestant, Muslim and Hindu, Republican and Democrat, a family unduly separated in ideas, culture, and interests, who, because we can never again live apart, must learn somehow to live with each other in peace. So what happens then when our comfortable little spaces, they start to get messed with. Well, when I was a kid and we would have company over and I was like a teenager or something, 13 or 14, when company came over, I went to my room and I like just stayed in there as long as I could until I heard my dad call out, Jamin, and then I'd have to come down. So that's what I did. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert. And so I sometimes try to avoid when the house fills up with people in some kind of way. I kind of, I, I, I like try to find a corner to stand in or something or all of a sudden something to do um, that I could have done and should have done a long time ago, like fold some laundry or something like that. Yeah, Becky's like, yeah, now you do it. And um, <clears throat> so again, I wonder with all of these ideas, can you relate to any of that? Can you relate to even just what we were hearing going on with some of uh, the Jewish people here they had a system, it worked for a really long time, and uh, it was a God-ordained system, and now uh, these, like, these crazy dudes, Paul and Barnabas, are just throwing, just throwing it out the window, just letting all kind of people just roll right in. They're not getting circumcised, they're not getting nothing. Let's look at this here in this passage. Let's look at a couple of verses and see how this is being described. Um, this idea of how do we know when to bless and, and who to bless and when to bless. So in Acts 15, uh, verse 1, it says, uh, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. This, um, this idea of, of circumcision, it didn't just mean a physical operation. It meant that you, if you did this, you and your family would be beholden to all of the law of Moses, all of the traditions, all of the purity rituals, all of the things that meant salvation for the Jewish people. And here we have all these other people being let in let in to Judaism in, in uh, not so many words without doing those things. And, and when we look back at this scripture, it says, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. That's, that's, that's what certain people came down and said. And then the, the, the Pharisees said that as well. We are not Jewish people in here, most of us probably. Um, but I wonder if we do the same thing and we do it even with uh, less to back it up with. If, if, we, ever, if we ever kind of forget uh, how we're saved, what, what actually saves us? Is it a certain number of, of, of Bible studies? Is it how often that you cuss or, or drink or if you... Uh, stayed pure until you were married or 
what are the things that we find ourselves actually believing gives us a good standing with God? And then, and then how do we sort of screen other people and say, well, no, you can't really come into this because you've got to get circumcised. You've got to follow through all of these things. You see, it's, it's interesting and it's a good thing that we see here that the Pharisees, there's a bunch of Pharisees here in the movement of Jesus. That's an incredible thing. Because when we look at the gospels, we see the Pharisees described as these very legalistic people that would tithe the tiniest amounts of things that they had. They would take a little bit of their mints in the gardens and get 10% of that and give it to the temple. So they'd be meticulous in these rules and laws. But the minute a woman's husband died, they'd buy up and scoop up her property. It was legal. It was okay to do. So they were on one in one aspect they looked very righteous before God. And in another, they used the law to benefit themselves in very greedy and dis, in immoral ways, even though they were legal. But these people were here. They were in the movement of Jesus. That means something. It should mean something to all of us in here that there's quite a diversity of thought going on in this group of people here that we see in the early church. There's different ideas about what does it mean to be in and out and what does it mean to be blessed? So Paul and Barnabas come in and they're like, the Gentiles, they're in, baby, they're doing it. And the Pharisees are like, hold up, dude, hold up. We have got a lot of things to talk about here, all right? They've got to get in line with all of these things or they cannot be saved, it's really interesting. And I think about times in my own life, in my own life, when even with a family member or something, I said something like, hey, you know, Christians don't do that. They don't do that. They don't cuss at the table like that. I said that to my little brother one time. That was one of the worst fights I've ever had in my life. Um, going around and giving requirements for people to say whether they're in or they're out. It's a big temptation for us. And we feel like even a lot of times it's our job, it's our responsibility to do that. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous when someone says, God is blessing and working in my life. And we say, hold up, dude. That's not how God works, that God doesn't bless lives like yours. It's like we instantly forget, we instantly forget all of the ways that we haven't lived up to our own code and our own standards of things. Um, if, if we keep following this idea, uh, we look forward in this chapter and we see in verse nine, what Peter has to say about this. He says, hey, remember this, that God showed he did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. And this word purified is really important because a large part of the law that the Pharisees were under and promoted was about purity. Before in those previous verses, they said, Unless you are obedient to these things, you cannot be saved. 
that you can't be saved. But I wonder, did they forget and do we forget what is it that actually saves us? Is it, is it the certain things that we've lived with, especially those of us who have grown up in the church, or is it the atonement, sacrifice, life, death, and teachings of Jesus Christ? Do we save ourselves or does God save us? And that question we need to keep before us because we all are going to make judgments and decide where is the blessing? Where is God moving? And how do we recognize it? And how do we call it that or not? When we stop asking that question, we get spiritually dumb and lazy and we assign a political party to a certain religion or to Christianity, like what's happened in the Republican party in our country, or we assign a certain ideological bent to associate with Christianity. And then we say, if it doesn't fit here, then it ain't blessed. It's not able to be blessed. I've experienced this in so many ways personally of a nasty email or a comment behind my back. I don't think there's anybody that goes to this church anymore that did any of those things. But hey, Robin, Jamin, I saw he went to a Black Lives Matter rally, like tattling on me. Because for them, that wasn't blessed. It wasn't under the auspices of what God was doing. It didn't fit under the umbrella of that person's righteousness. And that's a very dangerous way to live. It's a very dangerous way to decide those things for all of the people around you. And, but at the same time, it's like, but I want to do what's right for my friends. I want to like warn them of things. If I see them going this way or that way and, and not staying on the narrow path. And, you know, Paul wrestles with this all of the time in his letters to the churches. He says um, in, in Romans 2, he's talking all about, no, it's not the law. It's, you don't have to follow any of these laws. You don't have to be circumcised. You just need to believe in Jesus. And there, then he anticipates this question in Romans chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, about, well, then what's the point of being a Jew? What's the point of following all these rules? I thought these were from God. I thought Jesus was with this. And he says, what advantage then is there to being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So if you're entrusted with the words of God, what do you do with them? Do you not use them to bring and to correct the people around you in your life? and bring them into the proper fold of blessing. Here's what happened though. These folks, they couldn't see what God was doing. They couldn't recognize the blessings that God was doling out because it didn't fit into their worldview, their paradigm, their religion, their ethnic views. And that happens to all of us all the time. So what do we do? 
How do we deal with that situation? Because I could become real petty sometimes. I become real petty and think real small and think like, um, this is what it is, this little world right here, and you got to think like me, and you got to see the world like me, and you got to treat people like I do, and if you don't, um, I'm just not with that. There's a huge clue in this passage. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You've got Pharisees there. You've got Paul and Barnabas. You've got Peter. You've got all these different people listening and standing up. You have a plurality and a diversity of voices, kind of like some of the things that Robin talked about last week of avoiding a cult of personality. There's, there's a diversity of ideas and opinions that are present. And that's one of the things that we can safeguard against getting into this sort of place where we can only see a very narrow view of what God blesses and what he doesn't is when we're able to listen and to see other perspectives from people that think especially differently from us. I want to say this though. The Pharisees had something in common with Jesus that was very essential and very important to the foundation of our faith. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed that people would be raised again to a new life. That's the foundation of our faith. Isn't that weird? We don't talk about that. A lot of times we talk about like going to heaven and these other sort of disembodied sort of experiences and things like that. But at the heart of what drew these Pharisees in, what allowed them to say, hey, maybe there's something to this Jesus guy is the idea of resurrection. The idea that life keeps moving. It's interesting that we all can hold these completely contradictory views of life and live out of those. This idea that, hey, you've got to be blessed in these specific ways. And at the same time, I believe in the resurrection brought through and by Jesus, that life explodes and continues and expands to anyone who might believe and to see this savior. So you've got permission to have contradictory views because you already do. And God still blesses and works in your life in sometimes despite and sometimes along with those contradictory views, just like the Pharisees had as well. Are y'all with me at all right now? Because I don't know. I really don't know because of what's going on with me. I feel like 1,000 degrees right now. Uh, okay, appreciate that. Thank you, Josh. Um, so yeah, I'm petty sometimes and I need, some, I need certain people in my life. You know, uh, there's... Uh, Stacy was up here earlier, and Stacy's also on our on our women's council leadership team. And uh, Stacy's like a, a prophet, so she she gets words, and like when she says them, you're like, man, that's it right there, that's true. And she's one of those kind of people that expands the vision of the people around her. We need people like that in our lives. If we surround ourselves, if we're a Pharisee, we surround ourselves with Pharisees. Your world gets real small real fast. But if the prophets if they don't have Pharisees, 
then they're like that kite we talked about last, last, uh, last fall. They're just that kite without a tether holding them to the ground. So we need each other. We need a diversity of thoughts and ideas if we don't want to miss out on the blessings that God is giving all around us. Because he's moving, man. He is moving all around us and we're missing it. So what we see here is a group of church leaders, a church body who understand they need each other. They need to hear from each other and they need somebody to say, oh, you need to be circumcised. And then for Peter to say, no, it's by faith. And in uh, verse 10 and 11, he says, hey, um, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Yoke meaning the full teachings and the full requirements of the Torah. And he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. They're arguing like a family, okay? They're on the same team. It's really sad and it's a grievous thing right now in the church that we have, the Protestant church, is that we just all go to our own little spot of the house and we just figure it all out with people who already think all just like us. But here we've got the exact opposite. They're all in the same house, duking it out, trying to figure out what is it that God is blessing and doing. And that's our encouragement from this text, I think, this morning, is that we got to keep stay in the course of what we're trying to do together as a church community, because we will get to take more and more part in the blessings that God is bringing into this world. And we'll be able to see it because we'll be doing it together. That's what we're trying to do around our leadership table with the elders and the women's council that we have as we hash things out, as we listen to each other with patience. And sometimes it's heated and sometimes... Well, most of the time this gets heated. So who's the Peters in your life though? Who's the Pharisees? And then who's also the Peters? Peter is the kind of guy, he, one minute he's brilliant. And the next minute he's just, no, that's not it, Peter. Like, where did that come from? That's left field. So we'll see Peter in, we don't actually know if this happened before or after this time. He's over here eating with Gentiles, which is like a big no-no because of all the, the laws and connections there, Jews and Gentiles, these Gentiles who believe in Jesus. And then some folks from James come, James, the guy here, who's kind of like, he's become sort of the head honcho of the church. They, they come over and see what Peter's doing. And Peter, all of a sudden, he's like, scoots himself back from the table and he turns around and he's all of a sudden eating over here. He's not eating with the Gentiles anymore. Right? So Peter's like, no, remember, we're saved through faith and grace in Jesus. And then he's like, I'm not eating with the Gentiles. Y'all didn't see me do that. Right? He's a humble guy because he messes up a lot and he's learned a lot through all of his mistakes. He's remembering things like, oh yeah, Jesus said when we were trying to like stop that guy from casting out demons in Jesus' name, he said, no, 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 don't stop him. Jesus said, don't stop him. If he's not against me, he's for me. Oh yeah, Jesus said that, didn't he? Oh yeah, Jesus said, it's not what's outside of a person that makes them unpure. It's what's inside of a, oh yeah, Jesus said that. Oh man, yes, my bad y'all. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back around to this, okay? Like I, I, I'm remembering. We need people like that. We need people who have been through life well enough to know like, we can have all these heated debates about this, that, and the other, about like exactly who fits and who belongs. 
But at the end of the day, like, it's not even, we're not going to get it right. We're not going to because God's bigger than that. He knows way more than us, and he's working well beyond our parameters. If we could lay out everything that was contradictory about one of you or me on the table and then assess, is God going to bless that person's life and their decisions? We'd probably all say, no, no way. So we're going to get it wrong. We need Pharisees. We need Peters. And we also need people like James. We need people that can get up and say, all right, let's see what verse is that. Let's talk about, let's, let's actually hit that verse here. He says, uh, all right, Acts, Acts 15, 4. Simon, another name for Peter. Peter's got like four names in the New Testament. Guys, you just can't, it's like my kids' nicknames. Uh, Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name, the Gentiles. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And he quotes from the Old Testament and he shows how the Gentiles were always meant to be a part of this thing. And he brings it back around to scripture and then he gives some guidelines like, okay, we're gonna let the Gentiles in, but there's also a few guidelines and none of those are really a whole lot of relevant to us to talk about right now. Like we sacrificing things, strangling things and stuff like that. If you're strangling somebody though, you need to stop that right now. And uh, you need to turn yourself into the police. All right. But other than that, you know, a lot of these things aren't exactly um, relevant. So we also need people like James to help determine blessings. We need people who can kind of like say, okay, we're listening to everybody's sides here. Here, we're, we're sticking with the words of God. We're also listening to the experiences and how we see people uh, move, being moved and blessed by God. And so here's a way forward. It's gonna take us a long time. You know, we read 21 verses. That felt like forever to some of y'all. Some of y'all sat down and went right to sleep after that. But it took a lot longer for them to actually work all that out. It took a really long time to figure out how do we move forward with the things that God is blessing. So here's the thing. Here's how I want us to close right now is when you have a diversity of thoughts, opinions, people, ideas, it doesn't equal, it doesn't mean indecisiveness but it can mean delayed decisiveness. And so we go slow here at Christ City with things. We be very careful about what we bless and do not bless. When you make decisions from different shades of a single perspective, you can make those decisions very quickly and very confidently. When, you, when the perspectives are multicolored, when the decision comes from a multicolored perspective, it, it can be very slow, like an unimpeded sunset. It can make you stand in awe of God and the blessings that he's pouring out among us and through us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would expand our hearts and our imaginations 
and our desire and our willingness to go slower than we want to so that we don't miss out on how fast and expansively you are moving. That we would continue to stand with anticipation and wonder of seeing where and how you might be working in ways that are unexpected, in ways that contradict what we might have thought was the way you worked. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.